Before we get started, I have a quick favor. I've been self-funding the Finding Genius podcast for five years now. I've done over 3,000 episodes. And as you can see on YouTube, we're up over a million views on the channel, which is fantastic. The next thing I really want to push on is to get up to 10,000 subscribers. Because once we do, we'll be able to put a donate button and uh, we'll be able to solicit donations uh, to help keep the podcast running and to also get the Finding Genius Foundation moving along. We have a big project studying anxiety, depression, and PTSD, and working on a product to help people overcome these problems uh, because I've seen them explode recently after the, uh, you know, the last two years of the whole virus situation. So if you would, please subscribe to the podcast. That would help us tremendously. Give us a thumbs up. And check in the description for Buy Me a Coffee. It's about five bucks. If you could buy me a coffee, I'd really appreciate it. It would help keep the channel going, and I love coffee. Thank you. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out, and I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Devin Burt. He's a best-selling author, a YouTuber, a TEDx speaker, a sleep coach, and the founder of Sleep Science Academy. Again, a good way to find him is on YouTube, D-E-V-I-N, last name B-U-R-K-E. So we're going to talk to him about sleep. Thanks, thanks for coming, Devin. I'm excited to, to talk about this important topic with you, Richard. Let's Let's do it. Yeah, tell me. I know it's a laughable question, but <laughs> what got you interested in sleep or uh, getting into this area? Yeah. I mean, so a lot of people think, oh, you must've had a bad sleep issue. I, honestly, it's, I'm an incredible sleeper. And it's, it was somebody else that was having the issue that asked for help. And I looked into it. And then the more I looked into it, the more fascinated I got by not only how important sleep is, but also the lack of what's available for people that don't sleep well. And so that really set me on sort of this journey to discover, well, how can I create a solution to help people, sort of another option, if you will, to help people restore their natural ability to sleep outside of 
medication essentially, which is the primary sort of go-to that most people end up having to take or believing they have to take as a result of not being able to sleep. Mm. All right. So you got interested in it. And then what was it like? What's, what's your sleep career been like? What have you worked on? Oh man. So, well, I've helped worked with hundreds of people with sleep issues all across the country. I had a TEDx talk a couple of years ago, back in 2019 called the ROI of sleep, really where I ran a case study with a lot of high-performing entrepreneurs and just high-performing people in general that run companies and businesses and families, testing different types of sleep solutions. And really the whole premise around that sort of case study was to see if there is a one size fits all that could sort of help people improve their sleep and productivity. And what sort of the results of that study were, and it was a small study, there's only 20 people, was that there really wasn't. Certain things helped certain people and other things helped other people depending on, you know, so there wasn't like a silver bullet, so to speak. We tried all different types of things, changing habits and meal timing and supplements and all different things we tested week by week. And the data was all over the place. And so the conclusion really was, there's not a silver bullet. There's not a one size sort of easy way of improving sleep. You really have to be open to experimenting with different strategies, behavioral change, as well as, you know, there are some nutraceuticals and supplements and things that you can take sort of pull the lever to improve sleep. But the, but was interesting is on the nights that people did sleep, they always reported being more energized, more focused, more productive feeling better. And that was really consistent with what we know to be true when you're getting optimal sleep, which most people are not getting, by the way. Yeah. What, what are some of the things that would you consider sleep to be optimal versus not optimal? Yeah. So the first kind of, that's a great question. The first thing we always, I always ask people is, you know, do you wake up feeling refreshed? So if most people don't, you know, they wake up, they feel groggy, they feel tired, they feel achy, they feel like a zombie. And that's a sign. If you're not waking up feeling refreshed, that's a sign that you're not getting either enough sleep or, or enough quality sleep. And then you can look at, well, how, how much sleep do you actually get? And that really, that's a difficult question to answer because depending on your lifestyle, depending on your age, there's so many factors that dictate, well, how much sleep would be the right amount of sleep for you. And, and to give you an example, so, you know, professional athlete like uh, LeBron James, uh, he's going to need, he needs, you know, he sleeps about 12 hours, 10 to 12 hours a night because of all the physical exertion and stress he's putting on his body versus somebody that's, you know, sedentary, that doesn't really move their body that much, that doesn't have that much physical stress, they might be able to get away with less sleep. So it really, and that can change throughout your life. So, so, so your, you know, your sleep drive or your sleep need actually changes as, as we age. And so, it's a hard question to answer, but I always like to go back to like a feeling like, do you wake up and do you feel refreshed? And if the, if you wake up and you're not feeling refreshed, then there's definitely room for, for improving your, your sleep. It's really, it can be that simple. All right. So, um, you know, a lot of people wake up they're you know, they're like, Oh, and they need coffee right away. It's probably wildly obvious. I'm sure everyone's had a, at least hopefully in their lives, a couple of nights where they woke up feeling amazing. They just got out of bed, they're ready to go immediately. How high should we set the bar for quality of sleep? Like, should we wake up? Should our goal be to wake up every day feeling great? Or the best you're going to get is, you know, maybe a couple times a week, you'll wake up like that. A couple times a week, you'll wake up okay. And maybe one bad night. Like yeah, what's reasonable you know, and, and possible. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So 
there's there's really no such thing as a perfect night of sleep and and i don't wake up every single morning energized and feeling rested depending on what stage of sleep you wake up in and what's going on in your life it's going to dictate you know the impact of how well you're sleeping like for instance if you're eating a large meal before you go to sleep you're not going to get as much deep sleep and you might feel that if you're tracking it you can actually see it in your in your data but you might feel that the next day you feel a little lethargic because your body was digesting food instead of really doing what needs to be doing, which is restoring the, the cellular health of the body and all the other functions that take place during sleep. But it's not realistic, I don't think, to, to say, you know, every single morning I'm going to wake up or every night's going to be a fantastic night. That's just, it's, it's just not realistic. But the majority of your nights should be, you should, majority of your days, you should wake up feeling refreshed. So if that, you know, that again, it's going to dictate how, how much stress you have on your body. It's going to dictate so many factors that kind of influence that. If Are you traveling across time zones? But if the majority of the mornings you wake up not feeling refreshed, then that's a sign. That's kind of like the check engine light should go on, is on. It's like, hey, let's look under the hood. Let's see what we can improve. And sleep is one of those things that it's it's foundational. So when you, it's, it's you know, when you, move the needle on sleep it affects every other important area of your life that's why it's it's a foundational aspect of of our life and there's so much science to support that as far as from a productivity standpoint from a energy standpoint from a longevity standpoint from a, from a you know mental acuity emotional stability all of that gets linked to sleep so it is like when you improve sleep it rises all of these other really important areas of your life and it's something that you really don't notice that unless you're focusing on it specifically, if that makes sense. Well, how do you think most people think about their sleep and they, they just just have a general sense of like, oh, I didn't sleep well or I slept okay and they leave it at that? Or you know, like, when do people really, I mean, it's, you know, it's a pun, but wake up to the fact that they're not sleeping well and that it's affecting them negatively? Yeah. So while at Sleep Science Academy, we, there's so, it's such a powerful thing to actually have data. Like, like if you went to the, the doctor and you got a blood test and they said, okay, you have high cholesterol, you have high sugar, you know, you're pre-diabetic, you're, you know, you're on the verge of a heart attack. There's two options. We can, we can put you on some medication. We can put you on a diet an exercise program. We can do all three, you know, you can see the data. And so that's why I'm a huge component of measuring your sleep, because then you could start to see you can correlate the nights that you did sleep well and how you felt. And then you could start to draw conclusions around what you did or didn't do that day that led to that great sleep. And so when you have some sort of data, and we use the aura ring, which is this ring you wear on your finger that gives really consistent data around sleep quality and stages of sleep, sleep efficiency, the time in bed you're actually asleep, all these sort of important aspects to measure then you can kind of correlate that back and say, okay, yeah, I can tell on the nights when I got improved sleep, I was more energized. I was more mentally clear. I did feel better, but it's, it is one of those things that you really don't know unless you're, you're focused on it, unless you have some sort of feedback loop. And most people, to be honest, really don't pay much attention to their sleep. They, you know, most people think it's a waste of time that you know, it's, you know, snooze, you lose, you hear all of these common things throughout our culture that kind of say sleep is sort of for the week. It's not, it's not an important thing. And it really, unfortunately it's, it's a shame because it is, it's really, really important. And when you prioritize and protect it, 
you can start to notice the difference that it makes as you, you know, upgrade your, your, your habits and your sleep hygiene. Well, all right. So what constitutes an upgrade in sleep hygiene and sleep? And what is, what is sleep hygiene for people that don't know? Yeah. So sleep hygiene, you can think of it as your habits and your rituals around sleep. So some, some examples would be making your bedroom a cold, dark, and quiet. That's like a really low hanging fruit because the, our body temperature needs to drop two to three degrees Fahrenheit for sleep to happen. So we want a cold room around 68 degrees Fahrenheit. It would be like the optimal temperature for your room. You want it to be dark and you want it to be quiet. So like that's an environmental upgrade that everyone can do. It's really simple. You can, you know, blackout shades, or you can get an eye mask. You can, you know, turn down your AC so that it's cold and you can get, you know, if you, if you live in a city, you can get a white noise machine or something or wear earplugs to sort of play with the sound barrier, but that would be something that everyone could do tonight that would help improve the quality and depth of their sleep. And when I talk about quality and depth, I'm talking about the amount of time you're, you're in REM sleep or rapid eye movement sleep and, or deep sleep or Delta sleep. Those are sort of the, the, the deepest stages of sleep, if you will. And when you improve your sleep hygiene, like your environment or not eating too close to bedtime, that's a huge one or not watching TV, which is most people's bedtime routine. They're watching the news, which is a form of stress, not only from the blue light that's coming from the device, but from just, you know, the doom and gloom of what's going on in the news. Now the body's sort of getting activated and it's not, and that's the opposite of what you want to be doing in, in your bed. You don't want to be activated in your bed you want to be relaxed, you know? And so these are some examples of how you can start to make some simple changes that would lead to higher quality sleep. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. I know people use blackout curtains, they'll use melatonin, uh, maybe they'll have white noise on. There's like these systems for underneath the bed, like Uller to cool down the mattress. Yep. There's, you know, custom pillows. There's, uh, I mean, there's music. There's, I mean, there's all kinds of sleep stuff. Um, what have you found from all the sleep products out there? Which have you, do you see that are truly helpful and which are kind of extraneous and people are not looking at the basics of sleep? Yeah. So I would say that all of that stuff, you'll maybe get a 10% boost versus if you look at like the 90% boost is actually mitigating stress. So you could, you know, have blackout shades, the best mattress, the Uller, the, all these sort of kind of things that people sell that are helpful. I'm not discounting that they're not helpful. I'm not discounting. They absolutely can, but most people sort of lose the forest through the trees. Most of the biggest gains that people will get is when they understand and mitigate physical, mental, and emotional stress throughout the day. That's really what creates, wrecks the most havoc on people's sleep. It's really that. It's not, hey, my, my room isn't dark enough. It's not cold enough. Um, 
we work with you know people all over the United States and they, they've done all this sort of, they have all the devices, they have, you know, the most optimized bedrooms and sleep routines, and they still have trouble sleeping and they're on something, they have a sleeping medication. And so it, we know that that's really for quality of sleep, but most people's challenge isn't that it's actually understanding how our thoughts and beliefs and habits create stress patterns that then people take that into their bed and bedroom and it creates insomnia, either trouble getting to sleep or staying asleep or both. Um, so I just want to say that before I get into sharing about some of the things that I found to be helpful for quality of sleep. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to know what you think, again, is extraneous and what the core pillars of, of good sleep are. Like maybe we yeah, can go so, through that. Like, so, yeah, what are the, yeah, what are the pillars of sleep for you? Yeah. So the, the two things that control sleep is our body temperature and light. So that those are two levers that you can pull when we're talking about sleep quality. So having blackout shades, making sure that your room is truly dark, definitely will improve the quality and depth of your sleep, 100%. Doing things that help your body stay cool towards the end of the day. And so that would mean like not exercising too close to bed, not eating too close to the time that you want to be asleep. Those are things that kind of heat the body up. That would make an, a drastic improvement specifically on deep sleep. So things like having a cold room or having a mattress that doesn't store heat or even using a device like an Uller or a bed jet or something that's going to cool your body down absolutely will make a difference in the depth and quality of your sleep. So anything that really plays with light and, and body temperature, those are the levers that you can pull that would definitely increase the quality of your sleep beyond addressing your habits and your the mental emotional side of stress being created in the body. Yeah. You know, what's weird is, um, I put, you know, I, I've used sleep masks, which I don't like, but I put like a sock over my eyes because it doesn't compress my head and it's like kind of boomerang shaped. So it works really well, but you know, because I sleep very late hours, even though it's pretty dark in my room with the blackout curtains on the sock and all that, my body still seems to know that it's, it's light and I don't sleep as well. Um, supposedly, I mean, we only have light sensors in our eyes, but I wonder if we have it all over our body. What are your thoughts? Yeah, we we absolutely do. They did. There's an interesting study that they they took someone, they put them in a blackout room, and they put a light underneath their knee, and it had an effect. So absolutely, I mean, for sure, our our eyes. There's a lot of you know myopsin cells that produce melatonin and all these important hormone cascades for sure. But absolutely, I think our body there there's more sensors than just the eyes when it comes to light, like, like, you know, where do we absorb vitamin D from the sun? It's our skin. So the, you know, absolutely there, our bodies are incredible and there's definitely, um, there's more to just having a blackout shade or, or an eye mask or a sock over your eyes when it comes to really our bodies and, and, and talking about light and how it affects our sleep for sure. So temperature, uh, light, you know, as little light as possible. Um, what, what are some other core pillars of sleeping? Well, how so about routine, time and, you know, when you go to sleep, we, we discussed this offline. Good. Yeah. So, so there's something called chronobiology. So everyone, most people have, you know, night owls, morning larks, everyone has a, a different unique chronotype and that's based off of your genetics. So certain people do better with having a later bedtime than other people. And so if you can, if you kind of can, there's quizzes that you can take, uh, Dr. Michael Bruce, he has one and he kind of came up with these 
chronotypes and you names them based off of animals. Uh, but MEQ quiz, you can just Google MEQ and it'll ask you a couple of questions about you know, your, your lifestyle and your, your habits. And then it'll kind of guide you to what your chronotype may be. And there are certain genetic tests you can, you can get that kind of are starting to come out that can confirm what you are or what would be. But when you're talking about chronotype, it's, it's one of those things that I always encourage people to experiment with. Your body has an intelligence. It knows like Richard, you know, that you're more of a night person, a night type person. If you get, if you're not getting sleepy, like sleepiness, there's something called adenosine that builds up in our mind and body that makes us sleepy. And adenosine is just like, it's connected to our circadian rhythm, which is sort of, you can think of as your body's clock, which is connected to the rising and the setting of the sun. So the more connected you are to your biorhythms and the healthier of a lifestyle you're, you're leading, the easier it is for your body to kind of say, okay, the sleepiness is coming. You know, hey, I get sleepy around 10 o'clock. That's probably the right time for you to go to go to bed. A lot of times people fight that urge. They're like, oh, one more episode of Netflix or whatever. I got to finish this work or whatever it is. And that's when it really creates some issues. Um, but your body will tell you, hey, what is your chronotype based off of your sleepiness? If you're, again, if you're doing the right things from a lifestyle standpoint, you're getting enough sunlight first thing in the morning, you're eating good foods, you're, you know, you're taking care of yourself, your body has an intelligence and you should lean on that intelligence, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it totally makes sense. If someone is having sleep problems and they were able to go to sleep at 10 o'clock and get up, let's say at six every day, and they were a nice cold room and it was pitch black and, you know, all the, the basics. Do you think that um, most people would, would not have a need for medication or coffee in the morning or, you know, like how well would they sleep if they adhered to the, the basics of good sleep? Yeah. I mean, it makes a huge difference. And I, I know because personally, you know, there's, I, I probably tried every sleep supplement, every sleep routine, all kinds of crazy things like mouth taping, sleeping on an incline, different types of mattresses all different types of things. And really, it, you know, certain things, like I said, work better for certain people, but just you, it's not real until somebody experiences it. And so just sticking to simple sleep routines, making sure your room's cold and dark, making sure that you have a good bedtime ritual where you're not like watching TV or you're not on your phone working. And I have this thing called, I called three, two, one sleep. And I'll share with you. It's really simple that everyone can do starting tonight. It's a three hours before bed, you stop eating two hours before bed, you stop working. And then an hour before bed, that's when you start a routine that doesn't involve technology, like stretching or taking a hot shower, because actually that'll drop your body temperature or something relaxing that will prepare your mind and body for sleep. But if you consistently do that, you're going to notice a difference in your energy. Um, you're going to notice that you might not need that second cup of coffee around three, uh, but it has to be consistent. And most people are walking around with sleep debt because they're not prioritizing protecting sleep. And what sleep debt is, is, is a buildup of the neurochemical adenosine in our bodies. And adenosine is, is the chemical that makes us sleepy. And so if you're not getting, that gets flushed out every night. And if you're not getting enough sleep or enough quality sleep, that's not getting flushed out and it's getting carried over into the next day. And caffeine actually blocks adenosine. That's why it kind of gives you this artificial energy. It's like borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. And a little bit's okay, but most people rely on it. But if you're getting consistent sleep, if you're following good practices and you're getting better, higher quality sleep, 
you really don't need caffeine because you, you know, you feel energized without it. You feel focused without it. Okay. That makes sense. I was thinking of the three monkeys, you know, hear no evil, speak no evil. And I got two of them, you know, the one covering its mouth would be don't eat anything for three hours. The one covering its eyes maybe is, you know, no blue light or no work, but I don't know about the one covering its ears, but I thought that hopefully might apply to what you're saying, but I guess not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I, I would say for sure, don't listen to any kind of crazy music that'll rev you up. We're going to use the three monkeys as a, as a, uh, a metaphor. Yeah. I mean, really Ed, the, the thing is if you can create what we call a bed buffer, a clear stop from your day into your night of transition, it makes, it goes a long way because most people take their days right into their nights. And we are, as a culture, we are overstimulated by work, by just technology in general. And that's one of the major challenges for people is to sort of de-stimulate. People are walking around. Most people are walking around in, in a more or less a stressed state all the time. And they're not even aware of it. You know, their adrenaline, there's a little bit revved up, their cortisol is a little bit, you know, higher. And that's that's a real challenge for people to sort of wind down. And so if you're doing things throughout the day to sort of create less pressure and less stress, there's not so much of that that has to be discharged or shifted towards the end of the night. And that goes a long way in helping people be able to fall asleep and stay asleep. And again, that takes a little bit of forethought and understanding, well, okay, if that's true, then as soon as you wake up, everything you do throughout your entire day is going to dictate how well you sleep. And that's really the case. You can't really separate your day from your night or your, or your night from your day. It's, it's all connected. Well, what are some things people do before they sleep? Let's, let's do the opposite. What are some things people do that screw up their sleep and maybe they have no idea it does it? Yeah. The big one that most people is eating. And this is, I'll be honest, this is a real challenge for me sometimes, but you really want to focus on having a three-hour fasting window between your what crosses your lips and your bed and bedtime. And the reason is for that, because that first quarter of the night, that's when we get most of our delta deep sleep. That's when our bodies are repairing. That's when our immune systems are really active. Hormones are being released, like growth hormone and testosterone, and all these things are being you know released. That's when cancer is being cleared out of our body, the damaged cells. Our body shouldn't be digesting food. And so most people eat too close to bedtime and that disturbs that portion of sleep. Most people watch TV. The founder, I think it was Netflix, said that his competition sleep. And most people are watching TV or the news or something right until the point of going to bed. And that's damaging for two reasons. One, it's the hyper arousal that's created by watching the shows or the news. And then there's the blue light. Like our, our, our bodies don't know the difference between the blue light from the sun and the blue light that's coming from the TV or from the phone or from your iPad. So those are like two massive ones that most people really struggle with and aren't aware that if they shifted just those two things, the quality of their sleep would definitely improve. Okay. So the eating, yeah, I mean, one thing I've seen is, um, you know, if you're awake too long after you last, after you eat dinner, then you get hungry again. And if you're hungry, it's really hard to sleep. So you know, I guess going to sleep earlier would help people regardless, but then again, they don't want to, you know, you want to stop eating three hours before bedtime. Is there anything people could eat that would fill them up just enough to be able to sleep in case they get hungry, but wouldn't be deleterious to them? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And again, this is a this is a, a real challenge for a lot of people. It's very, very common for people to say, well, I, you know, I, I feel like I need to have a full stomach to go to sleep or I can't sleep. And what I found is actually we train our bodies to be hungry at that time. And so you can untrain your body. So really, you don't want to eat right before you go to sleep anything. I mean, it's just, it's not ideal just because of all the reasons I just mentioned. It messes with your body temperature, it diverts energy into the digestion process. So you can start to retrain your body that it doesn't need food. And that can take several weeks and it can be a challenging experience, but it's possible. And so I would recommend that people that have that challenge that they feel like they need to eat something in order to sleep to just drink water instead. And now you might not don't drink a lot of water because then you're going to be getting up to use the restroom, but drinking some water will give you the sense of some sense of fullness. And hopefully as your body is sort of relearning that it doesn't need to be hungry and have some, you know, late night snack right before it goes to sleep. That's, that's the, that's the strategy I would recommend. Uh, Or you could just start to eat less. So if you have, you know, there are, obviously there are certain Thing. You don't want to be eating a bowl of ice cream before you go to sleep. There's there's better options like maybe a banana and a, a almond butter or something like that. You could eat, you could upgrade whatever you're eating if it is something that's not really um, easily digested to something that would be a little bit easier digested and healthier, and then sort of taper your way off so that you eat less and less and less um, over time. That's also another strategy that I've seen has worked for a lot of people as well that have uh, you know challenge going to bed on a, on an empty stomach. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, where are you? So the sleep Academy, what, what is it about? What do you teach? And you know, what's your goal with the whole project? Yeah, it's really to, I mean, so we're, we work with people all over the United States uh, to give people the opportunity to retrain their mind and body to sleep naturally without the use of medication. And so we have a process that we take people through uh, three phases. We, so the mind, the body, and then the environment where we teach people how to do just that, how to connect, resync their natural body rhythms so that their body knows how to sleep. Your body knows how to sleep. It doesn't need medication in order to sleep, but there's really identifying what's going on mentally that's blocking you from sleep. What's going on you know, on a physical standpoint? Like what are, what are you doing to create dysregulation of your circadian rhythm and sleep pressure system? what's going on there. And then also what's going on in your environment that's keeping your body doing what it knows how to do, which is sleep. Sleep's a result. It's not a problem. And the real problem is there's things that people think, ways that people think, things, behaviors that people have that are just totally counterproductive to to sleep. So we kind of go through this process over several weeks of helping people just remove barriers, mental barriers, physical barriers, and environmental barriers so that their body then can sleep. Because it's not Everyone, everyone's body knows how to sleep. It's just, you have to find the barriers to it sleeping. And so we do that using technology, coaching, and education. Um, and we have a very high success rate. We have a 97% success rate for people that follow our, our system. And it's not rocket science, but it does take time. And it's definitely not as easy as taking a sleeping pill because you have to really be open to, you know, mental and habit change, behavior change. Okay. What do you see is the future of your work? Like what, what is the most important things that you need to be working on right now to help people with their sleep? 
Yeah. So right now we're really uh, looking to get our methodology out to more people. So training other coaches so that they can take this into their practices or even doctors or you know, acupuncturist or any kind of a health practitioner or personal trainer, giving them the methodologies to help their clients or their patients be able to restore their natural sleep. Because we know what we do works and there's only so many people that we can reach and help. So it's really about giving this system to, to other people, training them in it so that they can help the people that they serve. Because it's a huge problem. I mean, over 40 million Americans have uh, an issue with their insomnia specifically, but most people... If you ask anyone on the street about their sleep, a lot of times you'll you'll hear, yeah, I don't really sleep well or I could sleep better. It's a huge, huge problem. And um, so that's that's sort of where we're focused on at the moment. Okay. Any other people in unusual situations that are just really having a hard time that you've been able to advise? You know, any advice for people that, you know, that let's say their their partner snores and they can't sleep with them, or you know, apnea, I guess, you know, they need to speak to qualified sleep professionals, but the you know, if someone's not sleeping well, they're just like, uh, how do they start diagnosing what's going wrong and fixing their sleep? Yeah. Well, th- that is a great question with the apnea. If your partner stores, you want to encourage them to get a sleep study done and you don't have to go to a sleep lab and spend $5,000 and get all hooked up to the, you know, all the technology there. There's great companies that can do in-home sleep tests, but that's a real problem. Most people don't realize they have some type of sleep apnea and Snoring is usually the, a sign that that's high potential that you have sleep apnea. You definitely want to address that because not only is it you know detrimental to to the person that has the apnea, but like you said, the, the partner has to hear the snoring. So getting that addressed is uh, super super important for people that feel like they might have it. Unfortunately, there's not really a lot of great solutions for sleep apnea besides the you know CPAP. But there is a company I I recently heard about and got to test their they came out with sort of a breakthrough device. They have, they say they have a 90% success rate for snoring and it's this little device. It's called excite OSA. And it, what it does is it builds the muscle underneath your tongue because most people's, the reason why they snore, they have apnea is the tongue slips back and blocks the airway. And so they came up with this little device. It's kind of like, if if you remember back in like the eighties, those ab machines where it would like shock your abs and make your abs stronger. Have you, you know what I'm talking about, Richard? Well, I've seen like the ab roller and things like that. Um, I've seen the shake weights. I don't know about the shocking one. <laughs> yeah. So this is like, yeah, this was one of those sort of gimmicks, but there is, there is actually some, some real science to it. And so essentially this device sits on your tongue and it strengthens the muscle underneath your tongue so that your tongue doesn't roll back. All I'm saying is if you feel like you or your partner have sleep apnea, definitely get that checked out. If you feel like you're having issues with your sleep, if you if you wake up and you're not refreshed or you feel like there's getting an aura ring, I mean, it's a it's worth the investment because that will give you the data to then start to see, oh my gosh, yeah, I really am not sleeping. I'm sleeping either better than I thought or worse than I thought, but then you can sort of have a baseline for, okay, let me try some of the things that Devin talked about on this podcast and let me see what that does. And then, and then let me see what that does in the data and let me see what that does with how I feel, but you can't manage something that you're not measuring. So, you know, it's important to just like, you know, if you're trying to change your diet, you might want to track the food that you're eating or or the amount of calories you have. It's the same thing with sleep, like get an idea of what's going on and, um, 
And again, the Aura Ring is the one we use, but you can use an Apple Watch. There's a Whoop strap. There's all different types of trackers out there, but get something to start to just get a baseline as to like what's going on and then start to experiment with these different levers to see how you can improve it. Yeah, it makes sense. And it doesn't seem like any one thing will be the clincher or is it for people? Is it is usually one thing and they're like, oh, I feel so much better. Or is it this one's 5%, this one's 2%, this one's 10% and it adds up to a better night's sleep. That is exactly it. It's, it's the 1%, the 2%, the 3%, the 5%. Uh, the 50% if you're if you're managing your stress mental emotional stress yeah that's definitely it all adds up and you know behavioral change is is challenging change in general can be challenging but when you're motivated and you actually can see that the changes that you're making are making a difference in the quality of your life then you're going to feel motivated to continue to make those changes and then to make more changes so also i mean getting a coach like working with someone that can help you to execute on some of this stuff that can be hard or confusing and to actually interpret the data and put in place certain strategies um, that you might not know about, that can be extremely helpful, like a personal trainer for your sleep. That's kind of, you can kind of think of a sleep coach as as that. Um, You know, so it just depends on where you are and how motivated you are, how big of a problem it is. But I think tracking sleep is is really a good place to start. Yeah, no, it makes sense. what what are uh, I mean you and let's say scientists and uh, other researchers is, is there much research going into how to sleep better or is it really um, just this hard one like you know street knowledge uh, from just trying different things is what's going to help people most like what do you see with the industry you know what I mean there are a lot of new sort of tests and studies it's it's become it's become trendy and you know money follows the trends. So there's a there's a doctor Matt Walker. He has an incredible book that if if you read it, you'll definitely be motivated to take action on some of the things we talked about today. Um, Matt Walker, he's a PhD. Uh, UC Berkeley, I believe, is is where he does his work. But yeah, there's all there's all different types of research and studies coming out on the importance of sleep and how it affects relationships, how it affects longevity, how it affects different aspects of our health. Um, and at the same time, you have to, you know, you try things on for yourself because it isn't even just in a study. They said they took this study and they said, okay, well, wearing a cooling cap helped help people sleep faster, uh, insomniac sleep faster. Well, okay, could that, could that help you? Yeah, it could. Try it. You know, see, but you know, you, so it's like just because there's a study out that says something helps doesn't mean it's going to help you. That's where you have to you have to really take responsibility for your own your own health and and be open to experimenting to really see a difference. That's what I found to be true after working with literally hundreds of people all over the United States that have really extreme sleep issues. What are some of the things people should try last or only try if they absolutely have to? Medication. That should be your last resort, not your first. There's a Listen, there's a time and a place for medication. I am not anti-medication by any means. Thank God we have medication. But for example, like Ambien, that really should, people should only take Ambien for a couple of weeks. And a lot of times people take Ambien for years. We help people that have been on Ambien for decades. And it's, man, the side effects, one of the side effects of Ambien is insomnia. And it's, you know, it's linked to cancer. It's linked to all these things that, you know, so it's, yeah, I mean- I think we're too fast to just go to 
what our doctor tells us to do, which is take this pill. We really need to look at the whole picture and, and address the whole picture versus just trying to treat the symptoms, which is really what a pill does. It doesn't address the, the root issue. Mm. Yeah, makes sense. Okay. Well, Devin, what's a good place for people to learn more from you? Where can they go? What's the best resources? So YouTube. Yeah. So YouTube put out a lot of content on YouTube. So Devin Burke uh, or uh, Sleep Science Academy, you can check me out on YouTube. And then for people that are listening, uh, sleepscienceacademy.com, a lot of resources there, sleep quiz and and different things for people that are looking to improve their sleep. Uh, And then Instagram, Devin Burke Wellness try to put out some some content every week to, to help people continue to stay motivated and, and focused to improve their sleep. Very good. Well, Devin, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, great. Great having a conversation with you. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.